just wanted to introduce myself to anybody that doesn't know me. I'm Phil McCluskey, Jr. Um, I am just a church member here. And just a church member is beautiful because everybody, God uses everybody. And so here we are. And I feel very fortunate to speak with you today um, and filling in for pastor today. So I would like everybody to turn to Luke chapter 10. And we're going to speak on, we're going to look at verses 25 to 37 today. And so while you turn there, before we dig into all of this, this is going to be a passage, it's going to be a parable that is familiar probably to everybody in here. It's familiar to unbelievers, to believers. It's the, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so that term Good Samaritan, we've, everybody uses it. Everybody knows what we mean. If you go talk to anybody out there, it goes changes your tire, right? Helps you change your tire, or just helps you in general. It's a term we all get. It's, it describes someone that's caring, loving, compassionate, generous, and so on. But while the parable, this may be familiar to all of us, sometimes the meaning's not. And Jesus shared, like, the verses right before this passage he shares in uh, verse 21. It says, In that hour Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. And he also, he also speaks in verse 23. He says, Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. So Jesus speaks in parables, and he's, and he's doing that to hide from the wise and the, the proud. And and giving that truth to some of his closest disciples, but also to the people that had eyes to see and ears to hear. And so the, the parable today may seem like a real simple story, but it's anything but that. And uh, what I'd like us to do is let's go ahead and stand, if you will. We'll read through the passage. Um, so starting in verse 25. My apologies. Let me pull it up. Sorry, I had the scripture reading from earlier pulled up. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly, do this and live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. 
Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for everybody gathered here. Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, that we would really reflect on this passage, Father, that we would find your, re your interaction, Jesus' interaction with this lawyer, and find what truth we can apply to our own lives, Father. I ask all this in your son's name. Amen. Y'all may be seated. All right. So as we search through these passages, let's, let's use this interaction between Jesus and this lawyer to search our own heart. I think we can all relate. Often we try to justify ourselves, don't we? Every single day of our lives, we justify ourselves to somebody or we try to justify ourselves to God. We can all relate to not having compassion in all circumstances. I think we can all relate to that. We can definitely all relate to being self-focused. I think that's another piece. And then thinking that we are also good. And so the two main points I want everybody to take away from today is, one, we are called to compassion. God calls us to compassion. And number two, our best efforts can't save us, only Jesus can. This passage is actually Jesus performing a personal evangelism interaction with this lawyer. And I think that's important to remember. Like this lawyer's coming and he's testing him. He's testing Jesus. And Jesus is giving him answers, but it's actually a, a gospel message. It's, it's a message of salvation to this man if he would just listen and truly understand what God is asking of him. Our passage today is parallel to Matthew 19. Um, so there's a little table that uh, will come up on the screen. But Matthew 19 and the rich young ruler and Nicodemus and John 3. And so they're almost the same, they're almost the same question being asked. Nicodemus in John chapter 3, in reference to being born again, he's questioning that. Well, how can that be? What, it, what does that mean? He's asking, how can I gain eternal life? How, how is that possible? And the rich young ruler is, is almost a perfect correlation there. The rich young ruler says, good teacher, what, should I, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And Jesus tells him the same, the same answer. And so our lawyer in today's passage, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? The lawyer's putting the test in verse 25. It says, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up testing him, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he's putting Jesus to the test. The Bible says that. So he's putting Jesus to test. He wasn't seeking truth. He was trying to get Jesus in a gotcha. He was trying to get him to say something so that he could discredit him or otherwise um, you know, use something against him in court. Remember, this is a lawyer. He is a person that knows the law. And so in verse 26, Jesus says to him, it says, he said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So Jesus replies, and he turns the lawyer to the Old Testament. And he is something that lawyer would have been a subject matter expert in. He would have known everything about it. And so Jesus not only turns him to the law, but what does he say? He says, what is your reading of it? Like, you tell me, what does the law say? And what do, what do you say about that? And so in verse 27, the lawyer says, so he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That lawyer is combining two passages of Old Testament scripture. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 5, 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then Leviticus 19.18. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So he's combining those two pieces of scripture, and he's answering Jesus in that way. So he did. He quoted scripture right back to Jesus. And if we take a look at the Ten Commandments here, the Ten, Command, the Ten Commandments can be split in half. So the first half of the Ten Commandments um, focused on loving God and the second half loving neighbor. And so that's what you're seeing on your screen right now. And so those two passages that the lawyers reciting back to Jesus are basically summing those two things up. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5 are pretty much those first five. If we take a look at them, you shall know the gods before me. You shouldn't make an idol or an image um, to, let me get out of your way, y'all, I'm sorry. You shall not take the Lord, the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, and honor your father and mother. All of these are summed up in that Deuteronomy chapter when we're told to love God with everything, heart, mind, soul, strength. And loving our neighbor summed up in Leviticus 19 as well. Those things are... Um, Jesus, Jesus affirms this too. So in Matthew 22, verse 37 through 40, and I'll start in verse 34, it says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them asked him a question, testing him, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment? This is the passage we read earlier today. But when the Pharisees heard that, I'm sorry, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So if we're doing those two things, everything else flows from it. The, all of the law and everything that God commands us is summed up in those two. And so Jesus tells him in verse 28, he, he tells the lawyer, he says, you've answered rightly. Do this and you will live. And so Jesus says, you got it right. Bingo. Good job, buddy. Good job quoting the scripture for me. Why didn't Jesus just stop there and say, you know what, what you need to really do to gain eternal life is to believe in me. Why didn't he just ask him that? Because Jesus told plenty of people that. I'm the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes through the Father but, me, but through me. All of these different things. He's doing it. He's confronting how the man views himself. So this man is coming this, this man's coming with a self-righteousness, right? He is an obeyer of the law, and he knows that. And he believes that he's loving his neighbor. And so we're going to get to that in just a little bit. But, y'all, we don't need a cure if we don't think we have the disease. And that's what Jesus is trying to get to this guy. He's trying to get down to the root of the matter and get down to his heart and what he actually believes and what he actually does. Verse 29, and I love this verse, y'all. I don't know. This one strikes me. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You know, how many times do we try to justify ourselves to other people? All the time. Every time we get an opportunity, we try to justify ourselves. So the man goes to move to justify himself, and he's, what he's trying to do is he's trying to get Jesus to change, maybe provide a different definition of neighbor. Again, trying to test Jesus and trying to kind of stretch you know, where the lines are. Because this man's already got a definition in his mind of what a neighbor is to him. 
He moves right past how he's loving God. Remember, that's the first thing. Like We're supposed to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. He moves right past that. Like He's not even worried about loving God. Like I've got that. I'm following the law. I'm good to go. But he moves on to the second part. And he says, he asks, who's my neighbor? And again, um, remember, Old Testament and this, this, this lawyer, Psalm 139, 21 through 22, it says, Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. It contrasts a lot differently from what Jesus says in Matthew 5. Matthew 5, verses 43 to 48, Jesus says, You've heard it said you shall love your, your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. Jesus is getting at the heart of the matter, right? He's getting at the heart of the matter. The guy's good in loving God and obeying the law and that sort of thing, and he's good at loving those people around him, but is he good at loving his enemies? And that's where Jesus is getting at with all of this. So verse 30 says, Then Jesus answered, and he goes into um, the story, the parable of the Good Samaritan, which we're probably familiar with. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Jerusalem back in, well, Jerusalem was about 3,000 miles or 3,000 feet above sea level, not miles. Wow, that'd be crazy. It was a frozen place out in space, and that's where it was. And so this, so 3,000 feet above sea level, and Jericho was about 1,000 below sea level. So this would be a downward journey, about 17 miles. And this road, this Jericho road, was known back then as like a blood path, okay? So there was, it, was, it was known for being treacherous, robbers, all of this stuff. So Jesus is telling the story. It would have immediately gripped that guy's attention. Like he would have known what this journey would have been, okay? So Jesus has got him. He's got him. He's telling him this story. And then he describes a situation where this man is literally being beaten half to death, stripped of all of his clothing and belongings, and left on the side of the road to die. So dramatic. I mean, Jesus goes right in. Like, no, like, character setup or anything like that. Just boom. This man was taking this perilous journey, got beaten within an inch of his life, left for dead, stripped, got nothing, right? And so very dramatic. Verse 31, now by a chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So to the lawyer listening to this dramatic story, he's like, oh, good, a priest, right? You know, like there's some hope in this. Certainly a man of God that would know what God would want done for somebody in this situation is going to do something. And Jesus notes he passes on the other side of the road, just meaning he's, you know, that's not my problem. Not my problem, that guy complete lack of compassion lack of care he's moving on and we might say well like maybe the priest was scared like the robbers were going to get him maybe that's what was going through his mind or you know maybe the guy was indeed dead and if he touched him he'd be ceremonially unclean and would have to cleanse himself but we know what was going through this priest's mind was nothing this is a story and 
Jesus is telling a story. So there's no, like, back thought or, like, what's going on in this guy's mind. He just flat out, Jesus is saying, this priest came along, saw him, kept on going, right? Not my problem. And so verse 32, likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by the other side. A Levite would have given about the same glimmer of hope to this guy. The Levites were helpers in the temple, guards of the temple, these sort of things. And so, again, this is somebody that was connected to the priesthood, somebody that should have known what God would want done in a situation like that. He does the same thing. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's shaming the Jewish establishment at the time. He's shaming them. Like, these two people that you would hold in high regard, they didn't do anything. Then Jesus brings in verse 33 a hated character. It says, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Samaritans back in that time were hated by the Jews. They hated each other. It was mutual, okay? And they hated one another because the Samaritans back in the day had uh, intermarried with um, the Assyrians. And so they were, they were considered like half-breed and, and just hated is what they were. And they also did some things to, like, um, get in the way of the Jews rebuilding the temple, desecrating the temple, these sort of things. So definitely, like, the two, oil and water, did not get along. And uh, it was even John 8, uh, there were some Jews that were talking to Jesus and used the title of a Samaritan as a put-down to Jesus, as, like, a slanderous word. It says, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? So we're calling Jesus a demon-possessed Samaritan, which was like probably the worst thing they could think of at the time, right? Um, so that, that's what they, these people think of each other. And so verse 34, it talks about the Samaritan, what he did. He had compassion on this guy. And so it says, so he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. So remember, this guy's stripped, and he's beaten. He's half to death on the side of the road. This Samaritan is likely tearing some of his own clothing to be, be able to bandage this guy. And he's using his own oil and wine used to prepare his food and take care of him to dress this guy and to cleanse his wounds. And, y'all, he sets him on an animal. And I don't know about y'all, like, who in here has had a toddler at some point in their life, Right? Raise of hands. Lots of toddlers. Lots of owning of toddlers in here. That's weird, man. That's weird. Um, so how many of y'all have had a toddler that went completely limp noodle on you? Right? Like, pitching a fit, limp noodle. There they are. They're 40 pounds, 50 pounds of nothing. They're not moving. They're not helping you. How heavy does that person feel to you? It feel like 40 or 50 pounds, okay? I'm going to tell you, I can pick up my child when they want to be in my arms like that. I can throw them up in the air. But when that child is like limp noodle and doesn't want to move, okay, feels like they're 400 pounds. I don't know. Uh, that's just personal experience. Anybody else? Yeah? Um, when I was a police officer, same sort of thing. Some people, when they got caught doing something, handed me their arrest, okay? And we just took care of business and was respectful and that sort of thing. I had other people that did not want to go to jail. 
They did not want to go. They did not want to be captured by Bill McCluskey. And sometimes their strategy was toddler, right? They would literally lay down on the ground and put their hands up underneath them. And I'm going to tell you all something. Getting somebody's hands out from underneath them is hard, okay? I'm a big dude. I'm just telling you, some of the wiriest little people, man, I'm going to tell you, it's hard. It's, it's hard. But the point is, is that this guy is taking a guy that's half dead on the side of the road, can't do anything for himself, and he's picking him up, and he's putting him on whatever beast he has there with him, whatever animal to take him to the end. Huge, um, huge task, and I think that's overlooked. Um, but he brings him to this end, and he takes care of him. And he takes care of him all day and all through the night. He's nursing this guy through health. And we know that he did it all through the night because Jesus says in the very next verse, in 35, it starts on the next day. So this guy not only takes him to the end, but he takes care of him. And on the very next day, this is what he does, 35. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, said to him, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come, I will repay you again. He gives this guy enough money to recover it's a down payment on whatever services he would need to be able to get a well and this is a complete stranger this is an enemy right this is somebody that would have despised him if he was able to talk but he's beaten within an inch of his life the idea here two denarii they say it's about two weeks maybe two months depending on the end something like that of of an initial down payment that's how much this guy can you imagine doing that for somebody Somebody needs some place to stay because whatever, and you're just like, here you go. And you know what? Whatever you need, when I come back, I'll pay for it. Like, that is the biggest recipe for extortion I've ever seen in my life. Like, hey, person in business to make money, whatever you spend on this guy, I'll come back and I'll pay it. You know, it's like, oh, boy. But that's, that's where this guy's going. It's excessive. It's excessive compassion. In verse 36, it says, Jesus says, so which of these three you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves. So remember this story in response to the lawyer's question. He asked, who is my neighbor? And Jesus gives him this answer. Jesus asked the lawyer that. He's flipping the script on him. It's, not, it's no longer, um, the question's no longer like, who should I love, which is what the lawyer was asking. Jesus is pointing to him and it's saying, are you a neighbor who loves unconditionally? Like, doesn't matter what. Are you that neighbor? Not, is this guy a neighbor? Does he qualify for your love? Does he qualify for your compassion? He's saying, no, are you a neighbor to everybody, regardless? That's what Jesus was to us. Um, Verse 37, it says, and he said, he who showed him mercy. Jesus gives him the same answer back. He says to him, go and do likewise. What should have been the lawyer's reaction to that command? Like that lawyer should have probably had a sober self-assessment. We talked about that in Romans 12, didn't we? Oh, boy. You know what? You got me on that one. You know what? I haven't loved everybody like that. Because you know what? We all haven't. We all, nobody in here has loved God perfectly, and we've never loved other people perfectly. And so this guy would be guilty just like the rest of us, and this should have condemned him in, in his guilt. But you know what happens in the next verse? Verse 38, do you all have your Bibles open? Look at it. It says, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. There's nothing more said about this guy. There was no more discussion 
at least captured in the Bible, there was nothing more. It wasn't like the guy fell on his face and was like, I'm dirty, rotten, and I need salvation or anything like that. Nothing else. And um, so I want to point out, like, we're commanded to compassion. This story is one of salvation. God does demand perfection from us. He demands perfect love to him. He, he, he demands perfect love to our neighbors, and none of us have done that perfectly. And so Jesus is here, and he's speaking to this lawyer, and, he, and he's the creator of the universe, right? He's the one who would end up shedding his blood for this man's sins. He's the one that offers mercy and grace and compassion to all of us. And he's right in front of this man, and if all that guy would do was humble himself and realize his true condition and ask for mercy and ask for grace— and ask for God's forgiveness, Jesus would have given it to him right then and there because that's what he offers to us as well. Um, Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for this uh, passage in your word. Father, I pray that it has stirred something in all of us as we think about all of our interactions with our family and our friends and strangers and and how you would have us love everyone. And Father, I just pray too that um, we would all recognize that we have sinned against you, that there is nothing that we can do to make ourselves right. Father, I pray that if there's anyone in here that has not put their faith in you and believed in you and turned from their sins, Father, that today, that today that they would do so. And Father, I just, I pray all of this in your son's name. Amen.